This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Idea City Podcast. For more information or to watch talks online, go to ideacity.ca or check out the Idea City channel on YouTube. Welcome back to Idea City on the Air. You're listening to Rick Smolin speak about remembering the past or the present. Um, this is one of the most famous pictures taken by Elliot Erwitt, who's my father-in-law, um, during the civil rights era. And this is, this, is, you know, this is a picture that sort of symbolizes so much of what was going on. People said, well, if they were trying to separate the races, why would they put the water fountain, the water fountains next to each other? And part of the point of this was to make people aware of what status they were in society if you were lower or if you were higher. It was done intentionally by the great photographer Gordon Parks. Again, I'm just gonna jump to these pictures because this is, you know, I'm sure this book will piss everybody off because how can every one of these groups deserve an entire book or 10 books? And so to try to actually tell the story of African-American oppression or Jewish oppression or Muslim or Latino or women in in a book in 20 pages is impossible. Um, so much of this, my hope was that this would remind people how much we've accomplished, what we can lose if we don't pay attention, and uh, to also acknowledge the remarkable progress, even though we obviously still have a long way to go. The night uh, when African Americans were given the right to vote, um, the Ku Klux Klan would drive through the black neighborhoods the night before elections, saying, we know where you live. If we see you showing up at the, the voting booths tomorrow, uh, we'll be back for you. And they, those were not idle threats. Um, these are really hard pictures to look at. I talked to this gentleman who found these postcards. His name is Jimmy Allen. Jimmy said he went to a, a flea market 20 years ago. He was looking through a pile of old postcards and suddenly found a picture of a hanging. And um, he was looking at the picture and somebody came up to him and said, come back if you want to see more of these pictures. And they took him around back and it was like trading pedophilia. It was these horrible pictures of people being hung. And he said, what was so incredibly disturbing about these pictures wasn't just the hanging, but the words people had written in the postcards were, Sally, we missed you at the hanging last weekend. We'll let you next, know the next time we're going to string some of these boys up. You, you can't believe what was written on these cards. I thought this was done in the middle of night. It's this dark, horrible sort of ritual. Turns out these were, this is like the country fair where everybody showed up to have their pictures taken in front of the hanging bodies. It's just absolutely disgusting. So one of the other things, as I said, we built into the book is you point your phone at a picture, and this is what happens when you point at this picture of Billie Holiday. swept across America. It was the first time someone had sung, let alone talked about lynching. You know what's extraordinary? Um, po- mailing postcards of lynching was made illegal in 1920. Lynching itself wasn't illegal until 1944. So mailing the postcard was a federal crime, but not the killing of people. Just hard to believe. Um, in uh, 1937, the U.S. government took 140 uh, African Americans who had syphilis and said, if you come in every two weeks, we'll give you food and some money and we'll give you treatment because you've got bad blood. Um, penicillin was invented six years later. They never treated any of these people with penicillin. They let them suffer for 40 years. 
while they studied them, their wives got, penis, uh, got syphilis, their children got syphilis. This ended in 1970. You know, we talk about the Germans doing experiments on Jews in the camps. This is my country. Doctors were involved in this. Uh, Muhammad Ali is just extraordinary, his story. The more I've learned about him, the more amazing it is. And then I found this wonderful picture of Obama with this little boy in the White House who looked at him and said, does your hair feel like mine? And Obama bent over and let the boy feel his hair. And again, how the media changed perception. Suddenly, you know, guess who's coming to dinner with a movie last year, Loving. Uh, in 1958 was the first time it was legal in the United States to marry somebody of a different race. And today, 20% of all marriages are interracial. Pretty short period of time. We obviously talk about Black Lives Matter. It's not just historical. We're looking at really right up to the moment. Let me play this for you. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, that we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically it was 100 per 100,000, now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70 percent. It's unbelievable, right? I mean, this is a new form of slavery. 33 cents an hour is what they get paid. They work for major U.S. corporations. Um, and it's slave labor, and they're arresting kids for minor crime. This is a way of basically subjugating an entire population. Six men charged, six police charged for some of the murders that we've seen on TV, mistrial, and then all the police get off. And then they wonder why people are angry and why people riot and why people are incredibly frustrated. I'm gonna play you another video here. This is the story core. This is really, I love this video. What was going through your head when you first saw me? I remember when the doctor pulled you out. The first thing I thought was that he was being too rough with you. And he actually held you like a little Sprite bottle. And he was like, here's your baby. That was the most proud moment of my life. Don't tell your brothers because it's three <laughs> of y'all. But it was like looking at a blank canvas and just imagining what you want their painting to look like at the end, but also knowing you can't control the paint strokes. You know, the fear was just, I got to bring up a black boy in Mississippi, which is a tough place to bring up kids, period. But there are statistics that say black boys born after the year 2002 have a one in three chance of going to prison. And all three of my sons were born after the year 2002. So, Dad, why do you take me to protest so much? <laughs> I think I take you for a bunch of reasons. One is that I want you to see what it looks like when people come together. 
but also that you understand that it's not just about people that are familiar to you, but it's about everybody. Did you know the work that Martin Luther King was doing was for everybody and it wasn't just for black people? Yes, I understand that. Yeah. So that's how you got to think. If you decide that you want to be a cab driver, then you got to be the most impactful cab driver that you can possibly be. Are you proud of me? Of course. You my man. I, I just love everything about you, period. The thing I love about you, you never give up on me. That's one of the things I will always remember by my dad. Uh, you said it like I'm on the way out of here or like I'm already gone. So, Dad, what are your dreams for me? My dream is for you to live out your dreams. It's an old proverb that talks about when children are born, children come out with their fists closed because that's where they keep all their gifts. And as you grow, your hands learn to unfold because you're learning to release your gifts to the world. And so for the rest of your life, I want to see you live with your hands unfolded. Again, I'm showing you so little what's in here. If, um, but uh, I hope you have a chance to see the book. And again, my hope is simply that the project will get people thinking and talking about these subjects in a way that we all need to remember what we've accomplished and not lose all the progress uh, to date. Thank you so much. Correct. Is this a book of skills or a book of No, that's the, right, yeah. Right. yeah. So the, the book doesn't even come out till October. I was up till four this morning trying to finish the captions. We have a whole team, but I, you know, I'm, I'm like the dictator at the very end, like you, where you try to, you want everything exactly right. So uh, we're still getting there. It'll be out in October. Right. And it's also, it's been made possible from the, by the Anti-Defamation League. And they've, it's not about them. It's simply the causes they've supported over the years. Splendid. Back up just a okay. little bit. Okay, that's perfect. Thanks, guys. To Idea City on the air. Catch Moses Nimer's Idea City Conference live every June in Toronto or on regularly scheduled radio and TV shows throughout the year. And find hundreds of talks online every day at ideacity.ca. Hello, and welcome to Idea City on the Air. By the end of the next half hour, you'll be inspired and enlightened by the world's biggest ideas, innovations, and breakthroughs as you hear about them in talks from the planet's smartest people. Moses Nimer's three-day annual Idea City conference in Toronto has been called Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and we're glad to have your mind with us. In this episode of Idea City on the Air, Rick Smolin speaks about remembering the past for the present. Now, let's join Moses as he introduces Rick to the stage. Next speaker is Rick Smolin, another old friend of the conference, another old pal of mine, a photojournalist of exceptional quality who specializes in producing these mammoth picture books that weigh a ton. But they're brilliant, and you'll want to have them around and look through them. So Rick's going to come up and tell us about his latest project. Thank you, Moses. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much. 
So um, I sort of feel like I have the best job in the world. I've never really had a job my whole life. I've never worked for anybody else, but every about 18 months I get to invite my heroes and my peers and some young journalists and I send them off on Mission Impossible assignments. And originally we were looking at uh, countries in a day, day in life in Canada, day in life in China, Australia. And then we sort of, gravi- we sort of uh, graduated to saying, what if we did the same idea, taking a group of journalists, instead of looking at a country on a day, which we thought was hard at the time, so what if we looked at emerging topics, things that I personally just was interested in myself, so the global water crisis, or the first year that the internet was touching our lives, or um, the world of big data, which I shared with some of you last year. So, you know, when Trump was elected, um, um, a lot of people, not just in America, but all over the world, had pretty intense reactions to this. And, you know, if everybody kind of looks at the world through their own filter, and, you know, some people started donating money, some people started, uh, you know, obsessively reading every news, um, piece of news media, some people started marching, some people um, started running for election. I heard that 11,000 women have said they're going to run for election in the United States this year. Last year it was 800. That's pretty extraordinary, right? So, so... I do, I do projects, so I do books and TV shows and, and apps and things like that with my friends, and I thought, well, I do books, so um, is, I, I thought, you know, the outrage that I felt and the anger and the fear was we have spent, or as, as collectively as a society over the last, you know, 100 years, more than 100 years, but I thought, you know, what we're also afraid of is losing all of these hard-fought battles whether it's for Jews or Muslims, African Americans, the Latino community, uh, LGBT. Um, you know, w- there are so many different groups that have been oppressed and have, have actually fought amazing battles. And you know, if you say to people, would you rather be Muslim or Jewish or African American or any of these other groups in 1917 or 2017, most people say, oh yeah, definitely 2017. But a lot of these hard fought sort of battles feel like we're on the verge of maybe slipping backwards. So I thought, wouldn't it be interesting, instead of doing a contemporary look at something going on, which is what we've always done, is what if we went through spelunking through the world's great archives? What if we called all the photographers? What if we called the families of the photographers? What if we went to the Library of Congress and we started looking at pictures? So looking at the idea of oppression through the eyes of photographers, and not to depress ourselves, but to actually look at what we've learned, because one of the things that I find in America, and it was I found working on this book, is that if you don't understand your history, then you're doomed to keep repeating it. And it seems like in many countries, people want to hide the dark past. Like we don't want to admit to ourselves that we could have been possible with such brutality or bestiality or just that we could treat other human beings the same way. So one of the things that I discovered in the course of working on this project is this concept of the other or the sinister other. Right, it's, it's really hard to do something terrible to another person that you can relate to. But if you can think of them as childish, as subhuman, as less than human, then it's a lot easier. They're gooks, they're geeks, they're kikes, they're whatever they are. If you create a group of people and you, you lump them all into that and you say, those are really not like us, it makes it a lot easier. And we've seen this throughout history. I was sort of inspired by this quote from Robert Kennedy. Sorry, and, and I just felt that this idea of hope which uh, I think we all started with, you know, in, in many in our in our lives, but also particularly when Obama was elected in 2008. So uh, the project is called the Good Fight: America's Ongoing Struggle for Justice. And what I'm going to show you today is less than 10% of the book. So one of the things that our last two books, The Human Face of Big Data and Inside Tracks had built into it was a smartphone app. So you can actually point your phone or your tablet at different pictures in the book, and suddenly you'll be watching an Idea City talk, or you'll be watching a YouTube video. Um, so 
there are going to be 50 places in this book where you can point your phone at different pictures, and I'm going to show you some of the videos that it links to. It actually goes out to the internet, so it's a live connection. None of this lives on your phone or your tablet. It basically just says, oh, whenever you, I see this picture, take me to that uh, website. This is the signing of the declaration that allowed women to vote after seven years of suffragists fighting for the right to vote in the United States, 1920. Um, People of all different faiths and races coming together in Selma uh, to fight for equal rights and justice for African Americans. A lot of these pictures I'd never seen before. Um, and I felt like I was going like, to history school for the last year. When Trump's ban on uh, Muslims coming to America, when the first time he tried doing it, um, what was amazing to me is how many people gathered around and, and fought together. So this was in New York City. Um, the Dakota Pipeline, a lot of you heard about this. You know, it ended sort of tragically because it turned out Trump was an investor in the Tr Dakota Pipeline. So even though Obama had agreed to stop the development of the pipeline and see if they could reroute it, the moment Trump took over, um, the pipeline uh, went through. It's actually been leaking already, which is the thing they were, everybody was the most afraid of. But the good news, if you're looking for the silver lining in these stories, is that uh, the protests against the Dakota Pipeline brought together 300 different Native American groups, the largest gathering of Native Americans in American history, together with thousands of U.S. veterans, not Native American veter veterans, veterans of all different races, to protest what they felt was a terrible injustice. Uh, when the Supreme Court uh, finally uh, uh, ruled that uh, gay marriage is now legal in all 50 states. A pretty amazing accomplishment. One of the things I also learned is how many of these groups learn from each other. So people took pages out of what Martin Luther King did, and, and that's one of the themes we also have going in the book. Um, until 1971 in the United States, there were some states that had something called ugly laws. So if you were um, handicapped, or made other people uncomfortable because of your physical appearance, you could actually be arrested until 1971. Um, and now you've got these amazing athletes that are sort of hybrid man and machine that uh, can outrun anyone in this room. Um, and it's a really extraordinary story of the, of the technology that's now enabling people to actually live a very different life than, than their, uh, you know, people would have 20 or 30 years ago. And the, the attitude towards the handicapped in society is also very different. One of the things we also do in the book is we show how the media originally reinforced all the stereotypes through advertising and through other mediums and even TV and, and, and movies, and then through All in the Family and, and uh, sitcoms like The Jeffersons or Transparent or Empire presented a very different picture and suddenly in your living room, in, you know, in, in, your, in your bedroom at night, uh, sitting with your friends, you suddenly were meeting people that were different than you, but you were actually seeing that they fell in love, their hearts were broken, they were worried about their children, they were worrying about you know, what was gonna happen in their lives, and that sort of normalized and brought the other into people's living rooms. These are um, Muslim Americans and Jewish Americans getting together at the airport to protest Trump's ban. So again, you know, uh, I was talking to my 14-year-old son the other night when he was saying, you know, how could people have voted for Trump and why is anybody still supporting him? And I said, you know, Jesse, maybe it's like the, the sand and the oyster. Like this is my sort of glass half full version of this horror is that maybe this has woken people up from the slumber that we've all been in thinking we really don't have to worry about this stuff, it's taken care of, there's no more racism, everybody's fine. And I think people are realizing that a lot of the stuff is just narrowly, thinly under the surface. Obviously the amazing success of Hamilton 
the fact that you have a Latino American doing a play about American history with African Americans playing the forefathers of America is extraordinary. The impact this has on culture and making people think differently about our history is just so significant. And this is at the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., where 50,000 children a year go through this museum to see what was done to Jews and other groups by Germans, by the Nazis, and by um, a country where they, they created a class of people that were considered less than human and the horror of what took place. Coming up after the break. They were trying to separate the races. Why would they put the water fountain, the water fountains next to each other? And part of the point of this was to make people aware of what status they were in society, if you were lower or if you were higher. It was done intentionally. For more information about Idea City, find us online at ideacity.ca, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or youtube.com slash ideacity. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.